shoots, scores! They've slain the dragon! Daniel, Henrik, back for Daniel. Let's it go, he scores! Here's Horvat in, Beach, and Glenn Pester scores! Brock Pester on the rebound, his first career goal. To Patterson, here's Elias Patterson, and shoots, scores! His first goal of the NHL! To the line, Hughes scores! First career NHL goal, Quinn Hughes. Enjoy the future, folks, here it is right now. Welcome to the debut episode of the Cheap Skates Podcast. I'm Josh Elliott Wolf here with Chris Thomas. As long as this podcast is going, we're going to give you all our Canucks opinions, hockey opinions, and there's going to be some good and bad ones. Uh, you can reach us on Twitter at Cheap Skates Pod, at Elliot Wolf J for me, and at Corsi Guy for Chris Thomas. Chris, how are you? I'm good, Josh. How are you? I'm pretty solid. Uh, thanks for joining me as you will every week intro that like you're not going to be here every week but you will uh it's a really great week i think and i said this to you before to like start this podcast just based on like how much news related to hockey and sports and just the world in general is happening right now yeah between the time that we started driving here the entire season has been called into question. <laughs> yes. And it's just like, that's never, like, we, we talked about doing this podcast a week ago. And I was like, ah, I don't think I'll have to worry about the season not being a thing as a topic we cover. But it's definitely going to be a topic we're going to cover. And it's probably the biggest thing in the NHL right now. Obviously, uh, the coronavirus has suspended the NBA season. The NHL releasing a statement. Not really a statement. They released something saying they're going to release a statement tomorrow talking about whether or not or what their future plans about their season are, both for the regular season and the playoffs. So as of now, we still do have NHL hockey. It's great. I mean, there's hockey going on as we record this podcast, but this could be the last hockey we see for a while. So, I mean, listening to this podcast will be such a great hockey fix while there's no hockey going on assuming that happens we will be essentially the new nhl yeah just listen to us and like you might not even want to watch hockey after but is that like an endorsement of the podcast (laughs) we will make you hate hockey yeah maybe uh maybe not but one team that has made a, a few people in the city probably the majority in this city hate hockey for the past couple weeks Maybe not so much recently. The Canucks won last night, but they've been going through a rough stretch lately. They've lost four of their last six games. The only two wins coming last night against the Islanders in a shootout, which is which is always like 50-50. Like a shootout win is It's essentially a toss-up at that point. Yeah, exactly. Like you're not you're not counting that win as like, oh, we got a big win against the Islanders. Like the two points were big, but it wasn't uh You didn't dominate the Islanders. There was no moral victories. Yeah, exactly. Um, But that being said, you did get a bit of a boost and a boost that can last you hopefully a bit longer, though it is win one, lose one, as Besser returns to the lineup and Chris Tanev falls out of the lineup. That is true. Uh, According to the Athletics uh, predictions, Brock Besser's return boosts the Canucks' chances by 9%. So it's not an insignificant return. No, and as far as just having... The biggest thing with Besser for me, and obviously he's a great player, he's a top six winger, but when Besser comes back, at, with the addition of Toffoli, you don't have to have Louis Erickson in your lineup, obviously, and that's been a huge topic for any Canucks fan, like, you don't want Louis Erickson in your lineup. And that also provides Travis Green the ability to shake up the lineup and spread out the offense as far as having being able to keep Toffoli on that line with Miller and Pedersen, which has just been great as long as it's been together. And then you can allow Horvat to take on more offensive roles 
as you hope your second line center can. Yeah, hopefully it can help get Horvat going too. He's been not great for the past 16, 17 games. Yeah, what is it? Like one regulation or one even strength goal since like January 28th? Yeah, or I think three like even strength points. Yeah. Primary and, points. And like a lot of that you can credit to Eric. He had to. He had to and probably will still have to play a shutdown role, especially when you're playing on a line with Erickson, who even if, say, say Travis Green plays Horvat still in a matchup role against the other team's top line, and he's playing with Pearson and Besser, you're still going to be able to put up more points with Besser on that wing than Erickson, just based on the fact that you're going to be able to produce more offense off the rush. Whereas there was so many times where... Erickson would get the puck, and you're like, hey, here comes a three-on-one or a three-on-two, and it just kind of dies on a stick or gets dumped or just overall the play doesn't develop as you would see and hopefully will see with Besser on that line. Yeah, I don't really like using Horvat in that sort of shutdown role too. First of all, why, are you, why do you have Jay Beagle in the lineup if it's not to shut people down? I don't think he's good at shutting them down, but why, why is he even in the lineup if that's not his role? I also think Pedersen's better defensively than Horvat. If yeah. you're, you're going to be matching lines, why not match your best line against the other team's best line? I think a lot of that is to shield. Like, you don't want Pedersen. You want Pedersen to have as many offensive opportunities as possible, and you can see you can see that with how Travis Green really likes to set his lines off the faceoff. If that makes sense, like he, if he has the choice, he is going to put Pedersen on an offensive zone draw every single time. And that's obvious, but I th- I would have to pull up the stat, but like his offensive zone starts are just so staggering compared to like other first-line centers on other teams. And part of that is him being young, but it's also part of Green has a really... He has a tendency to want to hard match certain lines against other certain lines. And last night you did see Pedersen get matched up against Barzal, and he succeeded, I would say. Barzell did have a lot of chances, and Demko played a great game. But Pedersen was able to handle himself, and that line in general was able to handle themselves well against elite talent. That's true. Yeah, it's going to be something you want to see going forward as well. And... I think the addition of Toffoli on that line is, like, Toffoli is a pretty responsible guy, both offensively and defensively. But in the end, the reason the reason I think Horvat is getting these matchups is because you don't want Horvat to be, or sorry, you don't want Pedersen and that line to have to worry about any defensive responsibilities. Like, ideally, you want them matched up against a fourth line. You know what I mean? Like... You don't want to go head-to-head against top competition, especially when you have the benefit of playing on home ice and you have the last change and you have the chance to match up lines better than going talent against talent, essentially. That's fair, but that also means that if Elias is playing against fourth lines, that means other teams' first or second lines are likely going to be going against the Canucks' fourth line, which I don't think anybody wants because they're terrible. Yeah, well... Which is fair. I mean, you have been seeing Horvat, and you have been seeing other players to an extent. And I do agree when you said, like, the reason you brought in Beagle and the reason you kept Sutter and the reason you have Mont and all these bottom six guys that you're paying a decent amount of your, your cap percentage is so that they can take the pressure off Elias Pettersson and Bo Horvat and Brock Besser. You... And because they're just not at the level, especially especially offensively, but even defensively, that you want them to be at, Pedersen and Horvat, to a much larger extent, are taking that responsibility. And they're, they're just being forced into these worlds where they have to hard, like they just, they have to play against other teams' top competition. So what I mean by playing Pedersen against lesser lines is like, you're not going to have that many opportunities to do that. So when you can, you need to take advantage of them. And so as far as Pedersen being a matchup guy and a guy that you're going to play against other teams' first lines, is he, you, you just 
me personally, I don't want him to be that guy. And I, I, w I would sacrifice a little bit of ice time for him if that means he's getting better offensive chances down the road and as he develops. Yeah, and you, you did mention that he does get a lot of offensive starts earlier. Uh, I mean, that's obviously true. He does get a lot. But even still, offensive and defensive zone starts make up a fairly small percentage, relatively speaking, to all the like shifts that they're getting on the ice. Most of them come on the fly. Obviously, an on-the-fly sh shift can go either way. And, you know, if it's a neutral zone play, you know, someone like Elias out there is definitely going to help you get it into the offensive zone better than even guys who have the reputations of being shut down guys. Like you mentioned, the Beagles and Sutters, they're not they're not as effective at moving the puck through the neutral zone as your top top guys. Yeah, a, a, a lot of it is like counterattack, and that that's a good reason for having Pedersen playing against those top lines. It's like if you have Pedersen and Miller and Toffoli playing against the other team's top line, and they're able to get the puck back, you're spending more time with the other team's top line in their defensive zone, and that that's that is a pretty big benefit, but I think the hope with Horvat is he develops into such a good shutdown center that, like, as far as Travis Green hopes and the organization hopes, that he can shut other teams down and then also provide offense. But he's struggling. He's much more of a... He's either going to be giving you offense because he's getting offensive chances, or he's going to be giving you decent defense because he's able to or because he has to match up against other teams first lines or other teams top offensive threats and like you said before you want that you want that matchup to be Sutter Beagle Mott's and to an extent maybe like Roussel and Gaudet but that's even more shaky like you obviously you don't want Gaudet and Roussel right now but I would rather have uh, maybe I wouldn't like, I wouldn't mind seeing Gaudet in more offensive chances than I see Horvat, just because I think he might be a more dynamic player offensively. Yeah, I, I definitely think. I mean, Horvat, what you get is what you get. He's he's almost twenty five years old. He's not realistically going to be a drastically different player in the next few years. Th this is kind of the player you have with him, and what he is, I think he's a good second line center. I think, like you said, he can he can either give you offense or defense. He's not someone who's going to go out there and do it all. Uh, and, and I don't know exactly why that is, if it's like a matter of priorities for him. Because clearly he has, he has some ability on both sides of the ice. He just never puts it all together at the same time. Um, I think I would rather see him get those offensive chances because uh, you're, you have guys lower in the lineup like a Godet, who, you know, they have no offensive skill. Obviously, Godet does have some offensive skill, but a lot of those players have no offensive upside. So you might as well have the guys who do have offensive upside getting those chances. And if you're burying Horvat in the defensive zone because you can't rely on the guys who are paid to do that, then all of a sudden not only are you sacrificing your defense, but you're also giving up those chances on the other end that should be going to a player like Bo. For sure. And I think when you saw that last night against the Islanders with Pedersen getting that matchup, it might be a, it might be a different situation on any given night. Like it might be a, they're trying to transition to Elias and that line taking more defensive role, taking more of a defensive role because they can, handle transition play and they can push offense much more easily than Horvat. And you might have to give Horvat that buffer of like, okay, don't worry about defense as much because we want you to get better offensively. So we're going to give Pedersen these matchups. So now you have to go show that you can provide offensively and we're going to give you Besser because that's our third best weapon. And you should be able to maybe fourth now with Toffoli. But you should be able to pr produce with him and with the guy that you've been playing the whole year with and have hopefully built chemistry with in Pearson. But it, I think both Horvat and Pearson, 
and what Besser is obviously a, a little bit different, but both Horvat and Pearson are just very streaky players. And there's the stat of like Pearson has, I think it's six empty neck, five or six empty neck goals this year. And that's just crazy. But, and so a decent amount of their offense has just come kind of unearned essentially. Like they, they earn it defensively and shoot it down the ice and they get a goal. But they're very streaky players. And when they're on, they're on. But when they're not on like they are right now, it's it's tough to watch. And to an extent, when they're not on offensively, it might be better to give them that defensive role because at least you're getting something from them. But you also want to give them the opportunity to provide offense. So hopefully moving forward and going into this little back-to-back uh in Arizona and Colorado, they get that opportunity to show they can provide offensively. Yeah, I think Pearson's a guy who I would like to see moved in the offseason. That might be a hot take. He's had a good year, but I think he's unlikely to repeat this year. He's a career 40-point guy who, before coming to Canucks, was producing at a fourth-line rate, and now, obviously, he's put up points. Uh, I think he's probably... He'll probably settle back into a 40-point-per-year guy. I think uh, given the year he's had, you could probably sell high on him and get, you know, whether you're getting someone back in a trade or picking up someone in free agency for that cost or even less, who could probably provide, you know, a similar role with him. I don't think he's obviously not the one driving the offense on that role. Uh, I think he's a passenger, and I just don't think he's going to be putting up those same numbers again next year. That's fair. I do wonder how much of Pearson's solid play has been due to getting to play with Horvat, and obviously with those empty net points, just that that just inflates numbers. And when Travis Green is like, "Oh, empty net," I'm going to put out Horvat and Pearson and whoever they're playing with that night. You're going to get those opportunities to get those He's easy. He's an empty points. net specialist. Yes, the insurance line now with Besser. Uh, but yeah, Pearson has. One more year in his contract after this year at 3.75. Then he's a UFA after that. What I want to see if he's not moved this offseason is another younger forward, whether it be Coldland or, uh, like, eventually I think you want Pod Colson on that wing. And I think the year after you're going to get Pod Colson on a Horvat line. But you want a young player to come up through the system and show that like a the Canucks are able to to develop through the AHL and b that Pearson isn't needed and when you when you want to be a true contender you have to be able to move off pieces when they're at their highest value and before they're going to make you pay them in the offseason which if the Canucks keep Pearson after next year it's going to be UFA and you don't know like He's probably going to be getting paid around 3.75 still. Like, I can't see him getting a huge raise at age 29. But you never know. Like, the market, there might not be better options out there. And he just gets a raise that way. So, if he's not traded in the offseason, throughout the season, I want to see him get more, become more and more expendable. Not because he's getting a wor- becoming a worse player, but because other players are stepping up. And so that maybe at the deadline, you have the opportunity to move him for a pick and you're able to recoup these picks that you're trading this year and going down the line you have all these you have more and more chances to accumulate draft picks and accumulate this younger talent that will eventually grow into the team yeah and you said i mean picking up those draft picks that i liked the jt miller acquisition and i liked the defoli acquisition but now we're at a point where We've been scoreboard watching all night to see if the Canucks are going to remain in their last wild card spot, and they're not going to make a pick until the third round of the playoffs. You know, this is, we should be in a point now where, first of all, there's lots of cap space to add this summer, which there's not, but also still having those picks so you can really make those additions. I think they've kind of almost cheated their way through the rebuild because they haven't been able to draft effectively enough to sort of get them to a point where they can be competitive naturally or organically. Yeah, and as we talk now, the Canucks, Winnipeg just won uh, as we're recording, so 
The Canucks have dropped out of a playoff spot, at least temporarily, before their game tomorrow in Arizona. Uh, they are tied with the Predators point-wise and games played-wise, but the regulation wins. Nashville has one more. And it's really frustrating. Uh, like I said at the beginning, the Canucks have lost four of their last six games, and it's just <coughs> becoming a, a situation where you had these opportunities to pick up points against weaker teams, and obviously you didn't take them. And now you just kind of you have to move past that, and you have to show that, okay, we weren't able to do this against Columbus or Ottawa or Arizona, but now you have a rematch against Arizona, and you have, you're going against uh, Nathan McKinnon-less Colorado Avalanche on Friday. And that I'm not, like, the Friday game, if they lose, it's expected. But Thursday against Arizona and Sunday against Winnipeg, those are both huge games. Like, Arizona, I'm not worried about the Coyotes catching the Canucks, but I am worried about the Canucks dropping points against a team that they theoretically should be beating at this time of the year. Yeah, and I mean, like you said, it's probably not likely the Coyotes could catch them, but if they do drop two points to the Coyotes, all of a sudden you're in a position where they're only two points behind the Canucks. And, and they do play one more time at the end of the year as well. Yeah, so you don't really want to have to go into must-win games that late in the season, um, which it looks like they're going to have to with the the uh, Western Conference in the Pacific being so tight where you got four or five teams within three points of each other. Um, you know, you could even see someone like Calgary, who's third in the division, uh, you know, if they drop points, all of a sudden they're out. Of the, they're out, right? So uh, I think probably this game against Arizona might be the most important game of the season to date. Definitely. And, and, I, and like down the stretch, we're going to have a lot of those games yeah, where we're saying it's the like most important. I feel like we've been saying that the last month yeah. at least, but... Yeah, it's definitely a, a situation where every game is important. And that like that's awesome to see just because it's it's been what, 5 years since it's since it's felt like every game is important, but to an extent you didn't have to put yourself in this situation. And now you have to move on, you have to deal with the fact that you did put yourself there. But it is a really big game against Arizona. And if you don't win that, then you put yourself in a position where you have to go into Colorado on the end of a back-to-back, and you probably at least need to take away a point, if not two. Yeah, I mean, at least the good thing is Colorado is missing their entire team right now. <laughs> yeah. Their injury mess. list is crazy. So that does bode well for the Canucks. But six games ago, playoffs were a lock. They, had, they were in the 90s for percentage chance of making the playoffs. Now it's a coin flip, right? And that's because they've, they've fumbled the ball game after game recently. Yeah. Yeah, and it's... When you looked at this past stretch of games, you were like, okay, this is where the Canucks can pick up those points and going into the end of the the final stretch of the season when you have games against Tampa Bay and you have games against Vegas and Winnipeg, though you don't necessarily have to win those games. You just have to win the games before that and put yourself in a position where you have enough of a buffer to withstand some losses. But it, it's good that you bring up Calgary because I think I think their best route is to... like Obviously, they have to worry about the teams in the wild card just in case they fall into the wild card. But they have one game in hand on Calgary. And they do play the Flames one more time this year as well. Uh, March 27th, and it's a home game as well. That's probably going to be a must win and like I said obviously Arizona is similar tomorrow but if the Canucks can put themselves in a situation where they can leapfrog the Flames then your first round matchup becomes so much better you don't have to play against Edmonton or you don't have to play against Vegas or St. Louis instead you're going up against the Oilers who yes they have McDavid and Dreisaitl but they only have McDavid and Dreisaitl yeah since you did bring up playoff matchups i'm curious to see who you, your preferred matchup would be for the canucks definitely well like if calgary was an option i would say calgary but there's just no feasible way in my mind where 
the flames leapfrog the Oilers and the Canucks somehow leapfrog the Oilers as well. Yeah. Um, but out of the ones they could match up against, which to me is like Vegas, Colorado, St. Louis, or Edmonton, like, I, I think it's Edmonton with a bullet, right? Like it's just, yes, you have to deal with McDavid and Dreisaitl, but as I said, that's all you have to deal with. Yeah, and their goaltending has been bad to mediocre pretty much all year. And I think especially in the playoffs, a hot goalie, we've seen it time and time again, can make or break a series. I don't think you're likely to get that that level of goaltending from the Oilers. Uh, I mean, I guess Mike Smith has kind of always been one of those guys who's going to single-handedly win or lose you the game. Yeah, I mean, he got the Coyotes to the conference final one year. Yeah, but, that yeah. was a ridiculous season. <laughs> yeah. Our, yeah. I mean, that's, he's not that same player anymore. No. I think most of the time he's he's more often to lose you the game than win you the game at this point, and they have no choice but to rely on him. Yeah, it, like, it. they're definitely in a situation where if they start a series with Smith in net and he doesn't perform, they're going to go to Koskinen, and if he's can't do it then they're gonna go back and forth until they're out of the playoffs but it's it's when when, it, when you mention hot goaltending that's where i think the canucks if they can just get into the playoffs are gonna have the best chance of succeeding because right now when you have you markstrom is injured obviously but he should be back before the playoffs like he should be back within i would say hopefully a week, week and a half, um, just based on his progress and the timeline they laid out. But you're going to have a rested Markstrom as much as you can when you have an injury. And you're going to have a team that now has Besser back. Toffoli was an addition you made at the trade deadline. And one player I think a lot of people are forgetting about is Josh Levo will eventually come back into the lineup. And I don't think he's going to make a huge difference but then you also have the option of like, okay, maybe McEwen had a bad game. We'll take McEwen out. Levo, you're going in. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I don't, you said that their best cho- their best option in the playoffs, their best chance is to get hot goaltending. I'm going to take it one step further and say their only chance in the playoffs is hot goaltending. If you don't have Markstrom really playing at his best, this is not a team that's going to be able to make a deep run. Um especially going if they're against Vegas, who their only weakness was really goaltending, and then they went out and acquired last year's Vesna finalist in Robin Leonard. So I think that's, unless, you're, unless Markstrom is really playing on his head, there's no chance in my mind that they get past even the first round. Like, no, and, and that's kind of been the story all year, too, is like, oh, is Markstrom good? Then they're going to win. And they've won some games where... It's not all on Markstrom. It's the team puts up like nine goals against Boston, and you're not going to lose that game. But time and time again, it's come down to goaltending, and that's a big part of why they've they've struggled in those last little stretches. Because obviously they don't have your starting goalie, and when you're relying on a Vesna caliber goaltender, like that's not a bad thing in my head. Like it's Markstrom is part of the team, and because he's part of your team he should be be playing a big part, especially at the most important position on the ice. But also, you want to get to a point as a team where you don't necessarily have to rely on him to be a Vesna caliber goaltender. You know what I mean? Yeah, you want to be in a position, like I just mentioned, Vegas, where they have been producing, you know, elite results from their offense and defense to the point where they don't need elite goaltending to win, but now they went out and got an elite goaltender. The Canucks are winning games because they've gotten elite goaltend. Even last night against the Islanders, they they struggled against a pretty mediocre team. The Islanders, they're an average team. And if Demko doesn't stand on his head, they don't even make it to overtime. Yeah. Yeah, and it's... Uh, that, that's been the story a lot this season. And it's going to be something... If you get to the playoffs, teams key in on whatever your weakness is. And the Canucks' weakness is defense. And it's immediately going to be exposed against whatever team they play against. And you have to get to a point where, yeah, that might be your weakness, but also you have to overcome that and match up against other teams. So when you're when you're playing the Oilers, McDavid and Dreisaitl are going to 
tear your defense apart. But you have to limit limit them or just overpower them offensively, which I do think the Canucks have the tools for. They just have more diversity in their scoring, I guess. Like, obviously, McDavid and Drysaddle are better players than almost everyone on the Canucks roster as far as, like, how much they can drive play. And I think Pedersen... I th- I would take Pedersen over Dreisaitl, but in a playoff series... They're in that same caliber. Yeah, exactly. And in a playoff series, I think Dreisaitl's built for that heavy play a little bit more. And, dry- like, Pedersen in a playoff game, and you've seen it more recently, is not going to get the calls he wants. And I think he's been getting better at dealing with that, but he's also... He's not great at dealing with that. Like when you can tell when he doesn't get a call, he's visibly frustrated. And these refs have these huge egos that like if you critique what they're doing on the ice, you're not going to get many calls. And that's that could be a detriment especially when you're going into a playoff series and you're not going to get many calls just based on how playoff games are called. That's true, but also keep in mind he's 21 years old. It's his first time in his NHL career, his short NHL career, that he's played meaningful hockey. Uh, yeah. You know, obviously he's got a winning pedigree in Sweden, where you know he's he's won over there. But this is gets painted gold and stuff. He does yeah. get painted gold, yeah. but it, it, it's a different animal, obviously, in the NHL. Not even just the level of competition, but just the way uh, of hockey's played. You know, so uh, I would I wouldn't expect, obviously an immediate adjustment from him. And, and it, I think it'll come in time. He's a smart enough player that he'll learn to, you know, get the calls he wants and move on when he doesn't. And I think in the playoffs, what he does bring that someone like Dreisaitl doesn't, as he's also elite defensive defensively. Dreisaitl bleeds on his own end and is obviously otherworldly in the offensive end. Uh, Elias is giving you a bit on both ends where... You know, you might even be in a position in the playoffs where you can you can match Elias against a McDavid, and no one no one can shut down McDavid. But if you can limit that opportunity, he's still going to get his right. Yeah, and it goes back to what we were talking about with when you when you're matching up your best offensive talent against their best offensive talent, you're you're going to sacrifice some offensive zone time, but the other team is also going to have to do that. And in a series where you're going against McDavid, that might be a good idea. But also, if they play Dreisaitl on another line, you're probably going to have to match Horvat against that line. And in a series like that, probably come down to bottom six. Like, what whatever team's bottom six is better is probably going to end up winning the series. But also, Markstrom versus Smith or Koskinen. Like, you're taking Markstrom 10 out of 10 times. And... That's that, especially in the playoffs, is and we mentioned that is just a huge, huge factor. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know if I agree with the assumption that a Horvat line would be able to even really come close to shutting down a Drysaitl line. No, no. But that that's your best option. Yeah, which and unless you get like that's an, worrisome to me. Yeah, definitely. No, you like. That's what I mean when it's, when you look at the Oilers on paper, you're like, okay, we just got to stop McDavid and Dreisaitl. But obviously, obviously it's like, okay, we got to stop McDavid and Dreisaitl. And you can contain one, but the other one is always going to get a better matchup. And what you, what you mentioned with Horvat is it's, he isn't as solid defensively as the team wants him to be. And... Dreisaitl is going to get his against a Horvat line. Like, he's going to score, and he's going to get a bunch of chances, and it's going to be a really, really tough series, and you're going to have to just limit the bleeding as far as that line goes. But that could be a good reason why you try to match Pedersen against a different line, but then you also have McDavid going against either Sutter, Beagle, and Mott, or... And you don't want him going against Gaudet, McEwen, and Roussel. Because that'd just be that would be a mess. It'd be extremely frightening. Hearing you just list off all these 
garbage players <laughs> with terrible contract. It makes me wonder going into the summer, what do you think their priorities are? What in a terms good transition. Of, thank you. Yeah. What What do you think their priorities should be in terms of who do they keep, who do they let walk, who do they even maybe attach an asset to to try and get rid of? Because there's several players who really they they need to have a conversation about attaching assets to just to get those contracts off their books. I wonder what's going to happen with Ericsson. And obviously that's that's the big one. Everyone's like, oh, move Louie. And it's just, it's not easy. But I wonder if the Canucks go to him this offseason. They're like, hey, man, like, we're going to send you to Utica. You can either retire or we can, there is the option of we can mutually terminate your contract and that doesn't affect the Canucks cap and he can go play in Sweden. And obviously if you're uh if you're Ericsson, you want to get money as long as you can get money. Um so and I believe the Canucks have looked at if they haven't explored every option they have for trading Louis Ericsson, then they've been missing something because I just don't think there's anything out there. But when you look at Brandon Sutter, who has a year left after this year at 4.375, I think teams around the league still value a Brandon Sutter. Whether that, like, a new age team might not, but a team like Lulam, like the Islanders, might want a Brandon Sutter. And, like, a, a young team might look at Sutter and be like, well, he's veteran leadership, and you bring him in for the same reason the Canucks brought him in. And that's a route I would rather go than trying to attach a draft pick to Erickson, just because I think whatever you attach to Sutter is going to be far less than you obviously would attach to Erickson. Yeah, when I think about shedding that Erickson contract, I think back to what the Maple Leafs had to do to get rid of Patrick Marlowe. They had to give up a first. And he only had one He year. only had one year left. Granted, it was a 35-plus contract, so you, uh, to buy out that contract you had to take on that full cap hit. But, I mean, if you're looking at Erickson's contract, with the breakdown between, you know, so much of that coming in signing bonuses, it's not a contract you realistically can buy out and get benefit from. So I, th- I th- you're looking at at least over a first, I would think, yeah. to get rid of that contract. Uh, you know, David Backus even, you know, they got back Andre Case, who's a really good player, and I think the consensus was that the Bruins kind of kind of stole that trade away from the Ducks. Definitely. Yeah. And but Bacchus has one fewer year on that on that contract as well and for a slightly lower cap hit. So I don't know, you're if you're getting rid of Louie, you're pro- because it, you're, you're giving up a first plus, which yeah. that's that's what they got gave up for JT Miller, right? He, exactly. And it's also because if you're getting rid of Louie, it's because Louie wants to go. Yeah. Like uh, I think it was Patrick Patrick Johnston who tweeted about a potential Erickson trade that Erickson nixed. Like, he was like, oh, I'm going to stay in Vancouver. And when that, when you hear that, and obviously rumors are rumors, they might not be true. But when you hear that, it just gets more and more frustrating because you're like, man, like, so, well, you don't know what the trade entailed, but you're like, that $6 million could have been off the books. Because going into this offseason, going back to your main, your main point is like, your priority this offseason should be to re-sign Marstrom, for me, is my, my top priority, to Foley and Tanev and Stetcher. And there's other players on that list, like for Tannen and McEwen and Gaudette that need contracts as well. Uh, those guys are RFAs, Gaudette, like no other team can offer, offer shoot them. Same, uh, same situation as Besser, but... It's still uh it's still a worry just based on how you're gonna try to fit all these different cap hits in, especially if the NHL has to take some time off for uh coronavirus twenty twenty. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's just it's not encouraging when you're looking at their cap situation. You know they they have the cap of a team that's been a contender for several years and they're just like Maybe their playoff hopefuls for the first time in years. Uh, I think Louis Erickson might not even be the worst contract on the team. When you have a guy like Tyler Myers, who has 
same same cap hit, but for so much longer. And he's just providing so little uh, in terms of on ice value. And I think honestly, even I w- you mentioned Brandon Sutter, I would try and get rid of Jay Beagle before Brandon Sutter. I don't know if there's a trade market for him if you retain salary. Um, I think he's one of those guys that the hockey the hockey guys like. You know, he's he's that fourth line leadership that maybe some teams value at the right price. And he is a he is a lesser cap hit as well. He's like one point, almost one point five million cheaper than Sutter to take on. Yeah. So, and but one more or yeah, one more year. So it is. Uh, I don't know. It'd be a similar if a team looks at it like okay, we're taking Beagle, not we're getting Beagle. It's going to be a similar asset you give up to Sutter, and to me like. They play similar roles, and I do think Sutter is a better player for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, but on this team, they're going to play similar roles. And if you have the option to get rid of Sutter's cap hit, though it is one year less, I would get rid of that. But that being said, I still think they value Sutter and Beagle as like players they want to keep. But if the right trade comes along where they're not really giving up anything they would entertain those offers. I don't even I don't even hate the idea of keeping Sutter around. Uh I think I've been pleasantly surprised by his performance this year, especially since coming back from injuries. Yeah, this has really kind of been the first year where he's been that player that they've wanted him to be, maybe not the player they've wanted him to be cuz they kind of wanted him to be a 20 to 30 goal scorer. Foundational player. <laughs> yeah. But he's been a player who can fill a bottom six role and and give you decent results. He's the player Travis Green wants him to be. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't mind keeping him for an extra year. I don't think at this point he's a drag on the team. He's not making them worse. I think Beagle is making them worse. So come out of the two, I, w- I would rather find a way to get rid of Beagle. And and really, like you said, to get rid of Erickson, you're probably just going to have to send him to the AHL, take your million and change and cap relief, and just wait out that one. Yeah, it, it, when you, when I say going into the summer, you're like, okay, Erickson, you can either retire or we're sending you to Utica. It's my hope, and I don't, I don't know the logistics of it, but you, you go to Louis and you're like, hey, man, we're going to send you to Utica. And he's like, oh, I don't really want to go to Utica. And then you mutually terminate the contract. There's no cap it. It's like, it, it's a... Louis doesn't get his money, but he he's made a lot of money in his career. But eh, I don't know. It, it's it's going to be interesting. Going back to what you said about Myers, I know we have uh, we have different opinions on this one. I I like Myers. I don't like his cap hit, but I do think he he brings a positive offensively on the defense side that you did you didn't have last year and obviously Hughes is the biggest with that and you're not you're not going to get a bigger impact than Hughes but this team needed more than just one guy that can provide offensively or at least has the potential to provide offensively and my worry is like he's a 30-year-old defenseman and he's on the books for four more years after this one with a pretty lengthy injury history yeah and Injury histories just don't—they don't, don't concern me all that much, just because LTIR is a thing. And like, you look at Furlan, and like, I forget he's on the team sometimes. You know what I mean? And yeah. th- the cap hit doesn't apply. You have to worry about it in the off season, but I, I, I don't worry about it in terms of they're not going to be able to play. I worry about it in terms of you know if you have a nagging injury that's going to affect your performance. That's all fair. of a sudden, I mean, obviously, like. Someone like Louis Erickson, I think it's hard It's hard to see a situation where his decline with the Canucks hasn't been at least accelerated by the concussions and injuries he had beforehand. He was a 30-goal, 60-point player in Boston, comes to Vancouver, and is all of a sudden producing like a third or fourth liner. Yeah. He's and been it, like weirdly healthy with the Canucks, though. He has. He has. Which yeah. is like, I'm sure it, for some fans, and like probably not the, the most... Uh, ethical way is like kind of frustrating but um yeah he it's definitely a concern for sure maybe we'll find out that erickson is allergic to his equipment man what a development (laughs) (laughs) 
If that's been the issue the whole time. He just <laughs> has to change from like Bauer to CCM, and all of a sudden he's an amazing player again. Yeah. Well, and and the reason you brought Erickson in was a because he was like a big, he was one of the biggest free agents that year, and you were like, oh, the Sedins need a new winger. He's had success with them, and obviously they overpaid, and it, it just hasn't worked. Out. Like every free agent that offseason. Yeah. Milan Lucic, Lucic Andrew Ladd, David Backus, Franz Nielsen, Kyle Ocpozo. <laughs> yeah. That Troy was a... Brower. <laughs> Who else is in that? A lot of bad players. <laughs> yeah. It's uh you know who wasn't a bad player? This is this is not as good a transition as yours was. Uh Roberto Luongo was not a bad player. True. That was a bit of a stretch. I'll allow it. Yeah. Uh, but, but he did have his number retired in Florida this, this past weekend, which I think is well-deserved. I think he probably deserved a few more fans in the stands, but being the first player in that organization's history to have his number retired, obviously a huge honor for him. And I think he has more ties to Florida. Throwing some shade at Ole Jokinen, maybe? Yeah. (laughs) Ole Jokinen. (laughs) I mean... It's an interesting conversation, I think, to to look at whether or not... Because Roberto Luongo, to me, undeniably is the Panthers' best best player they've ever had. But now you see guys like Barkov coming up, and then you have Huberto and uh, Ekblad. I, I really like Ekblad, but obviously he's not... He hasn't been as good as his first overall pick. He's been sneaky good this year, though. He has been sneaky good. But his concussion history just scares me a little bit. But it's an interesting conversation. Do you think at the end of Barkov or Huberto's career, are they going to surpass Luongo as the greatest Panther to ever play? Uh, I think probably probably Barkov will. Uh, obviously, it depends if they play their entire career with Florida. Luongo played a number of his best years with probably Vancouver. Peak. Yeah. So that does play a factor, and there has not been a lot of great players in the Panthers' history. I think probably someone like Barkov. That shade on Evgeny Dadanov, he's great. Yeah, <laughs> that was shading him a little bit. Yeah. Shots at Dadanov. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but Barkov, I think, definitely uh, will be that guy, especially just I think people tend to have a bias towards forwards when, yeah. you know, talking about the value of any player. Yeah. And Huberto, I like he's he's I always, always forget about him. Sorry, I forget about him. Yeah, he's just like uh, he'll quietly put up near a hundred points every year. Yeah, I and, I was like looking at his numbers. I'm like, oh wow, he was like had like 97 points last year or something. Yeah, he, I didn't hear anything about it. Especially, I think the like now that Barkov has come into his own, that's helped Huberto a lot because they play together. But it's uh. Yeah, then he's sneaky good. But I, I would, I agree with you. I think Barkov is going to end up being the, the best Panther of all time when he retires. You never know who else comes into the organization, but uh, his peak is higher than Huberto's and Luongo. Obviously, like you said, spent half his career in Vancouver. Speaking of that, do you think he should be retired here? No question about it. Oh man, there's no doubt about it. He was. Maybe the best player on the Canucks teams that were definitely the best in franchise history. You can make an argument even that, you know, their 20, 2010, 2011 years were some of the best of all time. Uh, and he, he was definitely a huge factor in that. He brought the team to the Stanley Cup Finals, one game away from a Stanley Cup. Best goalie in franchise history. I don't most see... Wins, most wins, shutouts. Win- He's the best, best goalie. I don't see how you, how you can make an argument against retiring. Here's my argument against retiring. And, look, I say this. Luongo was my favorite player growing up. Like, I had, I have a few Luongo jerseys. Like, I love him, and he, he's undeniably the greatest goalie in Canucks history. But when you're a team that hasn't won a Stanley Cup and you already have six numbers retired, it's a little bit too much, in my opinion. And, like, right now the Canucks, as far as retired numbers go, they have – one for each era, essentially. Like, they have Smeal for the 80s, they have Linden for the 90s, Naslin for the early 2000s, and then the Sedins. 
and the Sedins kind of overlap with the Longo. And that, as far as, like, ownership has a, obviously a big say in who gets their number retired. I don't know if ownership likes the way Luongo left. And that can go a long way in not getting a number retired. Like, Ring of Honor, for sure. He's always going to be an in-between player for me. But, like, I'm not going to be mad if he gets in the if he gets his number retired. But me personally, I wouldn't do it. Honestly, I'm going to I'm kind of against the idea of retiring numbers at all. I think it's kind of stupid. You know, you're, honor You're stupid. <laughs> honor a player all you want, sure put his number up there, but why does that mean no player can ever wear it again? I I don't know. I don't I like it. I think it's kind of a silly concept, but I do think that Luongo is worthy of it. And I think if you ask people around Vancouver if they feel that he's worthy of it, 99% will agree. I think it's like 50-50. I don't I think people have kind of gotten over the way the exit happened. No, yeah, and I, I wouldn't even say, like, the exit is the biggest thing. I think that's the biggest thing for ownership. For me, it's more, he spent, he spent over half of his career in Florida. And to me, I loved him as a Canuck, but you can tell his heart is with the Panthers organization. And, like, he is... He's much more proud to be a Panther than he is to be a Canuck. And obviously he retired as a Panther and that has a that has a part in it, but uh, it's just it feels like Beret to me. Like Beret got it, it took a while for his number to get retired and then it did. I could see a similar situation with the Longo where we have to wait five, ten years, but Eventually, it might happen. Well, even the scenes had to wait a couple years, and everyone knew that was going to happen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's obvious. But yeah, I guess. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to talk about this week? No, I think that probably that, that can cover it for oh. our first episode. Our first episode, and we end talking about a guy that wore number one. So fitting. That is. That's beautiful. That is beautiful. Let's hope this goes. Viral. <laughs> Corona viral. Yeah. yeah Was that in poor taste? It might be. A little bit. All right. Uh, thanks for listening to the first episode of the Cheap Skates podcast. We're going to come at you again next week. Uh, probably, what day should we do it next week? Let's plan this while we're recording. Thursday? Thursday. Thursday. We'll come at you Thursday after the Coyotes, Avalanche, Winnipeg, Tampa Bay Lightning. So four games with within these uh, first and second episodes. There's going to be a lot to talk about. And there's a couple big games in that. A couple teams that could you're probably likely to lose against. But uh, it's a big, big test, big week. And we'll see you all next week. Thanks I'm for listening. I'm looking forward to breaking it all down with you, Josh. Oh, I, I appreciate that so much, Chris. Oh, also, follow us on Twitter. Add, at CheapskatesPod at Elliot Wolf J and at Corsi Guy.